Hello, I'm Michael Hasted, and you're listening to Arts Talk Radio, bringing you interviews and news relating to all aspects of the arts in Holland, which are either in English or where language is no problem. We cover Amsterdam, The Hague, Rotterdam, and the surrounding areas. Arts Talk Radio Online. Features on the arts in English. Something for almost everyone in this programme. We talk to two members of the Strike Me Pink Theatre Company, who have a new play opening in Amsterdam. And we report on a truly remarkable visual event in The Hague. But first, contemporary dance. We've spoken to Misha van Leuven, the principal dancer with Scapino Ballet in Rotterdam, several times. But he's now involved in a project outside of Scapino. The show, about the great Russian dancer Nijinsky, is currently on tour. And I met up with Misha to talk about it. The title in English is Nijinsky's Leap, but in Dutch the name is De Sprong van Nijinsky. We all know about, or at least we've all heard of Nijinsky, but there was a good deal more to him than just the name and his dancing. So tell me a little bit about about this um, the piece you're doing, which is currently on tour. Yes, well we're doing a piece about Nijinsky, about when he's starting actually to be more schizophrenic. Um, he, he used to be a very uh, great dancer, well, but this is what we heard because there's not really uh, movies about him or like only pictures. Uh, they say he could jump really high and just uh, hang in the air for a little bit, uh, but it's all from the stories we have. Uh, so I read his diaries and his books about him, and uh, he actually only danced for nine years, and then he stopped, and then he gets uh, he he got a bit strange in his head, uh, and then he started talking. He didn't want to dance anymore. Um, so that's the piece. What is it's it's more about like about his struggle with his voices in his head, uh, his wife, um, and didn't want to dance anymore, but still has to dance because he had to make money. So what what form does the show take? I know there's there's a lot of music in it and a lot of movement. Yeah, it's actually a, a music theater piece, and actually I'm as a dancer I'm an extra sort of. Uh, I'm playing the the role of Nijinsky himself. Uh, so it's it's music theater it's with an alt violin player and a violin player and an, um, a pi- pi- pianist. And there's also a spoken word guy uh, who's also dancing a little bit. Uh, and me, so it's actually only five dancers on or five people on stage. And how did it come about? Did, did you originate it? Whose idea was it? No, it's extra. Actually, it's uh, originated by uh, Esther Apitule. She's the alt violin player. She uh, made this whole project actually, and she asked. Actually, she contacted me to see if I still knew a dancer who could be able to do the, his role, uh, because I'm uh, under contract with Capino, of course. And one of her dancers, uh, he cancelled because he got injured. Uh, so I called some dancers to see if they were available or not and nobody was available at the time and I was just also reading a bit more about the project myself and uh, I got this idea of maybe I would like to do it myself so I went to Scapino to see if they can maybe make a co-production out of this uh, and then like uh, sort of uh, uh, I made a sort of football transfer you know to a different to a different club uh, and uh, I could dance there so for me it's a very nice thing because I can also experience to be an hour and 20 minutes on stage with without going off so it's a very different thing with Scapino because then you do a scene and then you go off and you wait till you, your next scene is there. And actually I'm, I'm sort of building the whole character through the whole 
through the whole piece. So for me, it's very nice to really dive into a to a character uh, without going on and off stage, but really stay on stage and have this focus and um, a very clear uh, path to craziness, actually. Because there's there's no moving pictures of Nijinsky. We, we only know what we know from still photographs and from text. Is he a sort of uh, for dancers? Is he a sort of god? Yeah, I think so. Like everybody knows uh, knows about him. If you're also in the academy on school, like you hear about him, uh, like he was one of the first male dancers who could jump really high, and there's all this stories about him um, but we also it's he was a classical dancer of course and then he started to do uh, sort of modern style with uh, turning his feet in and being more ugly on stage and also the audience then didn't really appreciate that because there was a lot of booing when he made Sacre du Printemps uh, and actually we also use this in the in the performance like uh, we have this crowd like booing towards me and uh, so it's it's a nice nice gimmick to play with actually but we we put it in a in a sort of modern jacket uh, because you know like I'm uh, educated as a classical dancer but I'm not doing classical anymore for such a long time because I'm dancing for 25 years in Scapino uh, so we, we took it more as a modern style uh, but the whole idea about Nijinsky is there of course but I think Nijinsky with the, with the Agla they, they actually created modern dance for sure, that's the beginning of it. Yeah, yeah. And him, uh, I think Diaghilev was was more still of uh, the classical guy who wants to make classical pieces. And actually, uh, Nijinsky, he sort of went against it and made some choreographies. What was crazy for that time but it wasn't just the choreography because they had costumes and and sets which were very modern and yeah. untraditional that's true that's true yeah that's true so it was it was the whole new phase of uh, changing the ballet structure and doing different things than being on points and uh, jumping only high and uh, but so it's more of a there was this I think there's this American company in the 80s uh, they remade uh, the Sacre du Printemps with what they knew of what he did in the past in the 1900s, 9 or something uh, and I, there you have footage from uh, so I did that and I also watched that and some elements of that with like turning the feet in and, and being crooked that also comes back into into the performance we do uh, but still it's, it's very now actually uh, what years was was he active? Uh, it was around from 1910-ish? Yeah, 19, 1909 to 1918 or something. So it's yeah more than a hundred years ago. And your tour is you're touring currently all around the Netherlands. And and, and how long does that go on for? Uh, we still have a tour till the first of June. That's our last show. And through all of Netherlands, yeah. And then you get involved with something else, the Rotterdam International Dance Choreogra Choreography Competition. Yeah, that's also coming up then. Um, we we just made a... We're, we're busy with making a selection now from all the applications we had. Uh, we had 431 this year. That's... That's more than we ever had. Um, I, I made a selection for myself. The other pre-jury pre members also did that. This Saturday we all come together to make the final decision. And... Um, yeah, it's going to be uh, a, a nice one again. It's like uh, the fifth, the fifth edition. So it's a sort of, uh, I said, a jubileum, <laughs> a, a small one. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that as well. 
Okay, well, we'll we'll talk about that maybe in a, in a future program. But for the moment, Misha van Leeuwen, thank you very much indeed. You're welcome. That was dancer Misha van Leeuwen, who is currently on tour throughout the Netherlands with De Sprong van Nijinsky, or if you prefer, Nijinsky's Leap. Arts Talk magazine provides the perfect companion to Arts Talk Radio with reviews and previews in English of cultural events in Holland. Whatever your interest in the arts, our international team of writers will always provide something new and exciting to see online. That's Arts Talk magazine, all one word, dot nl. Arts Talk magazine, dot nl. We are a pretty broad-minded lot here at Arts Talk, and we're happy to see and review most things, but we do draw the line at film. Not because we don't like movies, but because they rarely have any local interest or relevance to the Netherlands. Well, currently at the Dome, at the Museum Omniversum in The Hague, is a recombination, which is described as a full dome movie, because it's projected onto a huge dome, which is 840 square metres. But this is not a movie in the accepted sense of the word. It's made up of computer-generated fractals, which are able to create amazing images. I went along to the premiere, and before it started, I spoke to its creator. My name is Julius Horsthuis, and I'm a digital artist, or a fractal artist, um, in fact. And we are in The Hague for the, I think, the premiere of your, do we call it a film? Yes, it is a, it's a film, it's the world premiere of... Uh, of Called it. Recombination, and it's all based on fractals. Now, I think everybody's heard of fractals, but I don't think anybody understands them. Can you give a very quick explanation of what fractals are and how they work? I actually also don't really understand them from a mathematical perspective, so like a mathematician could probably explain it a lot better than I can. But what they are, in my understanding, and what they are for me is they are mathematical formulas that if you render them through a computer, you can create kind of worlds and spaces that can look like things from nature and architecture, because also those things are all uh, they're all based on on these uh, on these mathematical principles so you can create a very small formula that if you render it through a computer you can create infinite detail and uh, I think that's that and that's the beauty of it I think the basic algorithm is is fairly straightforward it just multiplies and multiplies it's like I don't know like coral or something it's very um, self-generating do you when you're working do you actually know what you're going to get at the end it is it is it is always a journey of discovery so it's really um, I, have a, I, have a, I have a piece of software that I use and I can take these formulas and I can sort of combine them and out of that combination comes something that's always surprising. Sometimes you have a sort of a feeling of what you're going to get because you sort of you, you get like an understanding of what, e- what each formula does. Some might look a bit more like trees, others might l- maybe look do, a bit you, more like a, buildings. Do you have any idea what it's going to be when you start? Are you, you're so aiming for something. You aim for something but you're always caught off guard and it's always surprising in the end. So you might just completely have to like, do something else because you've got, you found something that's much more beautiful than the original thing that you were planning for. Do you develop it as you go or do you just set the formula and sit back or, do, or can you actually work on it as it's generating itself? So when it's generating itself, it's actually rendering and it's a very lengthy moment. You can't really
really change it at that moment because then you wouldn't really get a nice animation. But as you work, you can sort of see in real time little things about what it does, um, and that is just something that you. Uh, so yeah, that, that's how that's how that's how you work basically. And your film, this uh, recombination, how long does that run for? It's a uh, 47 minutes runtime. And how long did that take you to make? Uh, probably about well, it sort the whole thing took me a year and a half to make, but and the rendering of that would be something like seven months. Wow! So there's a there's a network a cluster of computers. So you've got time for a cup of tea when you finish. Oh, absolutely! <laughs> no, it's wonderful because all the computers are rendering, and you sort of you have to just wait. And you can do other things um, because it's a lot of it's a lot of that render time that goes into it. And that must be a very also, uh, powerful computer. I don't suppose you could do it on an ordinary PC or a Mac. Yeah. So I have like a I have a, like a like a like a cluster of computers. There's multiple computers rendering simultaneously but they are they're they're definitely powerful computers uh, but they're not uh, anything very crazy it's, it's still something you can buy uh, off the shelf so people can do this at home if they want to okay thank you very much indeed i shall certainly look forward to seeing the film in a minute great <laughs> absolutely arts talk radio online Recombination, the full dome movie, will be playing at the Museum Omniversum next door to the Kunstmuseum in The Hague until the end of May, but check for details. And don't be put off by talk of formula, computers and algorithms. This is a truly amazing and totally immersive experience, the like of which you will have never seen before. I can't recommend it highly enough. It was, as we used to say, mind-blowing. We are joined in the studio this week by Ralph Ramers and Porig Turley, who are members of the Strike Me Pink Theatre Company in Amsterdam. And you've got a new show coming up. What's that? Yes, well, thank you for having us, Michael. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yes, we do have a new show coming up. Mm -hmm. It is premiering at the end of this month, yes. and it is called Calamus. What's it about? Oh. I feel like you want to start. <laughs> but, go, but, go ahead. But, 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 but Rolf, you, you actually wrote this, so maybe... I've adapted it. Adapted. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So adapted from... It is... So the blueprint is um, The Seagull by Chekhov, Anton Chekhov, um, whom I adore. Uh, I think he's, he's one of my favorite playwrights. Um, but I've, it's quite a free adaptation. So for the people that know this play, The Seagull was originally set in late 1900s in a Russian country. I brought it to 1950s Louisiana, America. So the social political climate is rather different. It is. It has a bit of... I, I like to see it as a bit of a mashup. Um, so mm. the blueprint is definitely Chekhov, and I feel there's a bit of Tennessee Williams in there, whom I also really much uh, uh, adore. It's the right place for it. <laughs> yeah, 1950s, 60s, you know, if you look at Street Con Name Desires, kind of mm. around that time, I think New Orleans was that. And also was very much inspired by the uh, poetry of Walter Whitman. Mm. And so that also has a place in it, especially, specifically the Calamus poems, which were poems he wrote about male companionship in all of its varieties. Mm. So is that a, 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 a new twist on the seagull? Is there? I like to think so. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we'll because see it's, 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 how the audience, uh, uh, you know, how it's being received. But I, uh, yeah, yeah, it's really. I think we really did a, our own thing with it. Maybe they're strange bedfellows, um, Chekhov and Whitman. 
I know. Um, <laughs> it is, I, if you would ask me a couple of years ago that those people would meet in one play, uh, I would find you insane. Mm. <laughs> um, I mean, I can tell a little bit about it. I mean, uh, in the original play by Chekhov, one of the main characters, Constantine, he's a young, young uh, aspiring writer, and he tries to... Um, you know, you have his mother in a play, it really stands for classical theatre and theatre as we know it. And Constantine, he really, he constantly proclaims new forms. Mm. He doesn't want to see theatre uh, showing us how we do things in real life. He wants it to be more spiritual, more, more esoteric. Mm -hmm. Transcendental. Transcendental. And... So it's also the Seagull, the original play, was also very much about art itself. And what is art? Mm. So in our adaptation, Constantine, um, is now Anthony Woodward, lives on this Louisiana estate of his uncle in Louisiana. His mother is kind of like the grand lady in, in, uh, of, of Hollywood, all like Joan Crawford, Betty Davis. So she really resembles Hollywood. And it's, in his opinion, quite manufactured images of love and he feels very his idol Wild Whitman who lived a decade before him really described love in all of its varieties and also the love that can exist between two men and he wrote in such a spiritual and earthly way with quite sensual language it's really beautiful and Anthony is trying to grasp that as well but is has a really hard time when doing that because the 50s in America were rather conservative and anything else, anything that wasn't mainstream, you know, didn't really had had room to kind of, you know, to voice its opinion. And it wasn't just for queer people; it was also for people of color and women. So, how how yeah. how, how have you how have you made uh, the seagull queer? Well, there's a queer layer to it in that. So, Constantine, who's Anthony, he is a queer character, although they don't talk about it as much. But he is queer, and he would like to tell stories that kind of where he sees himself in. You know, that kind of is more about love that that Walt Whitman also described like a decade before him, mm. how, how men can love each other. And um, more characters in this play are queer, and so it's also very much about how was it to be queer in a 1950s climate. So you don't think, or maybe you do think, that Chekhov would be turning in his grave? I <laughs> uh, he, he doesn't. Um, no, but of course, yeah, we could have to... The yeah. Seagull, when it was first performed, was... Um, I think almost booed off the stage. I know. The first rendition of it was a fiasco, yeah. and I know Chekhov, I think he even said, I never am going to ride anymore. <laughs> and it wasn't until, I guess it was Stanislavski, when he came in and they went to play it in Moscow, they, it became quite a bit of a success. So mm -hmm. it would be quite good if your first night was booed off the stage as well, because... Uh, <laughs> Yes. Who knows? So, yeah. So, so, so Porig, what, 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 what are you doing in this? Your, which part are you playing? I'm playing the part of uh, Archibald, who uh, is based on the original character of uh, Nina in Chekhov's The Seagull, ah. which is uh, one way that Ralph managed to uh, uh, adapt the play. I think that's mm. the only... Uh, it's the only character who's been gender switched. That's true. The entire play. Yeah. And I think that's the, the main... the biggest change you've made, right? I think. 
in that aspect, yes. Yeah, yeah. Because it's quite yeah. ambitious. Uh, quite an ambitious production for. I think this is only your second show. That is right. <laughs> and how many characters have you got? It. How many actors? Um, not every character from the original play is in here. Um, we have nine actors. Nine. Wow. Yep. So it's quite ambitious. And you're, you're you're not directing. I think you directed the first one. No, I didn't. Oh, did you? I did. Uh, well, I wrote the first one, which was an original. Um, produced it and starred in it. Um, it was directed by Sita, Sita von Sonta, a Dutch director. And that was called Peanut Pie. That's very yeah, true, yeah, Peanut Pie. And this one is directed by Marcus Kuhnen. He is originally from German, did a lot of work there. And I actually worked with him before on his amazing comedy by Michael Frayn and Noises Off. And we had a great time, really had a pleasant working relationship. And, and Porig, you're, I, I mean, Rolf is, is obviously Dutch. Well, maybe not obviously, but he yeah, is Dutch. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Dutch. Um, <laughs> but, but you're a, a, may I say, a strange mixture. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm being, <laughs> because you obviously have an, an Irish name, which you've led me to believe is Porig, but yes. it's, it's spelled completely different. <laughs> spelled completely different. Yeah. And you are. Born in Belgium. I was born and raised in Belgium, yeah. To Irish parents. Yes. Both. And you now, now live in Rotterdam. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I sort of, I've, I've travelled the world in that way, I guess. <laughs> I was born in Belgium, uh, went to boarding school there, performing arts school as well. And then I was back in Dublin for a year at drama school there. And then I attended a conservatoire here in, uh, uh, in Rotterdam. And I, uh, I liked it so much that I've, uh, I've stuck around for a while. Yeah, but I mean, is that one thing that that, that um, not bothered me? But one thing I noticed when I came to um, to, to live in Holland, my background is very much the theatre, and there is very little theatre here, as as we know it in England. Mm. I mean, you do, there's no West End, there are no plays which runs for, which run for a long time. Mm. There's no sort of a provincial repertory system. Every every town, every small town, has an incredible theatre. Mm. It mm. must be said. I mean, fantastic theatre, but they only do one-nighters. Yeah. Um, and even big plays, which are very successful in England and elsewhere, come here and they play maybe four or five nights. Is, is, is Holland a good place for you to be an actor? Um, yes, I think so, yeah. Um, I actually thought a lot about this when I attended drama school in um, Ireland because um, I was really uh, uh, made aware of how different... Uh, uh, English and Irish theatre tradition is to what we have on the continent in the sense that I find in the UK and Ireland um, uh, people have this fascination for naturalistic theatre and naturalism and, and realism is held to such a high regard and sort of the end goal of, of what theatre is supposed to be but here on the continent, especially with German influences uh, and Scandinavian influences, I find that there's much more freedom to be um, experimental uh, and try out different things when it comes to uh, performance forms, uh, interaction with audiences. Um, so I find that maybe there's less work or there's less of an established tradition, but it's a more exciting place to be because uh, you get to try more things. Absolutely. I think the, the, the very, very limited um, 
progressive or avant-garde theatre mm. in England. However, there's uh, I noticed the Holland Festival, which is coming up in, uh, mm. in a few weeks. Um, Simon McBurn is Complicite company, and he is probably the only really interesting person doing modern stuff. OK, um, I think that that will do, actually. So, Ralph Ramers and... Um, Porrick Turley of um, the, the Strike Me Pink Theatre Company, <laughs> mm-hmm. whose show, which is called Calamus, yes. right, is going to be in Amsterdam on when does it open? 28th of April, uh, and we play until the 6th of May. Where? In the Amsterdam's Theatre House. Fantastic. Well, thank you both very much indeed. Thank, thank you. you. Arts Talk Radio Online. Well, doesn't time fly? That's the end of another edition of Arts Talk Radio. We'll be back in a week or so, hopefully with lots more interesting people to talk to. If you have any comments, please leave them in the box below. We're always going to be pleased to hear from you. My name is Michael Hasted, and so till the next time, it's goodbye. (laughs) 